pretty amazing. Well, good morning. I love you guys. Thank you. So good to see you. Um, this morning, uh, I have a message. Um, I'm going to do my best to try to keep it PG. Um, I think anybody, uh, you don't even have to be a biblical scholar to know kind of the term Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, this morning, the title of my message is, What in the World Was Going On in Sodom? Um, And we're going to start with prayer. If you guys would pray for me, because I really want to clearly bring God's word with grace and love and compassion and truth. So, Father, I just... Lord, I'm so humbled... that I can know you, Lord, that I'm called by name, that you say that I belong to you, Lord, and each and every one of us, God, is so precious in your sight. Father, I just want to humble myself, empty myself. I want to speak your words in a way that would bring you honor and glory. I just give up my own agenda. I give up my own thoughts, Lord. I just invite you to use me, work through me, bring your word. Lord, and just like that song we sang, like a bride waiting for her groom, let us become a church that's ready for you, Lord. Let us be a church that is pure and holy in your sight, God. Your beautiful bride. Prepare us, Lord. Use your word, God. Use your word this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. We're going to start in chapter 18, the second half of chapter 18, and we're going to go through chapter 19. We're not going to get all the way through chapter 19, but um, so today we're going to be talking a lot about interceding, intercession, And we're going to be talking about um, worldliness, how to be unstained by the things of this world. We're going to talk about judgment, judgmentalism, and we're going to talk about the judgments of the Lord, which are right. And um, we're going to start this morning in Genesis chapter 18. But before we do that, could you guys all give out a shout out to our American Fort campus? We love them. We love you guys. So, chapter 18, verse 20. So the Lord told Abraham, I've heard a great outcry from Sodom and Gomorrah because their sin is so flagrant. I'm going, to, I'm going down to see if their actions are as wicked as I have heard. If not, I want to know. The other men turned back, headed toward Sodom, but the Lord remained with Abraham. Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away both the righteous and the wicked? Suppose you find 50 righteous people living there in the city. Will you still sweep it away and not spare it for their sakes? Surely you wouldn't do such a thing. Destroying the righteous along with the wicked? Why, you'd be treating the righteous and the wicked exactly the same. Surely you wouldn't do that. Should not the judge of all the earth do what is right? And the Lord replied, If I find 50 righteous people in Sodom, I will spare the entire city for their sake. Then Abraham spoke again. Well, since I've begun, let me speak further to my Lord, even though I am but dust and ashes. Suppose there are only 45 righteous people there rather than 50. Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five? And the Lord said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 righteous people there. Then Abraham pressed his request further. Suppose there are only 40. The Lord replied, I will not destroy it for the sake of the 40. Please don't be angry, my Lord. Abraham pleaded, let me speak. Suppose only 30 righteous people are found. And the Lord replied, I will not destroy it if I find 30. Then Abraham said, since since I have dared to speak to the Lord, let me continue. Suppose there are only 20. And the Lord replied, then I will not destroy it for the sake of the 20. Finally, Abraham said, Lord... Please don't be angry with me if I speak one more time. Suppose only 10 are found there. And the Lord replied, then I will not destroy it 
for the sake of the ten. When the Lord had finished his conversation with Abraham, he went on his way, and Abraham returned to his tent. Now, when I read this, I'm so struck, first of all, with Abraham's boldness, but I'm also struck with the question, why didn't he keep asking? Why didn't he go all the way down to one? Lord, if there is only one righteous, would you spare the whole city? And as I read this, I was also really convicted by the fact that, you know, when we first moved out here, I used to pray fervently with many tears for my city. I cried out for this valley and for the people in this valley, and I had such a passion to do it. And you know, as you kind of get busy and you get involved and life kind of comes at you and trauma hits you and things happen, I've kind of lost my focus for that. So I really, I really repented to the Lord and really asked that God would just restore that passion and that he would give me his heart for the city. How many of you want that? How many of you want that? And you know, the, the other thing that I find so interesting Abraham, even though his brother was there, Lot and his family, you know, that's ultimately why I think Abraham kept whittling things down. But even though his brother was there, Abraham prayed for the city. He prayed for the city. And I think so much of the time we forget to pray for our enemies. And you know, Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, 44, it says, you have heard the law that says, okay, anytime Jesus says you've heard, what he's saying is he is talking about the Jewish laws that they wrote. Not necessarily what the Lord had spoken, but sometimes what tradition had spoken, sometimes what, you know, they had come up with in their own culture. But he always follows it with but. He says, you have heard it said this, but... And then he brings the truth. And that's what he does here. He says, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even the pagans do that. And I'll tell you, if you have an enemy or if you have someone who's persecuting you or someone who's giving you a hard time or someone that you have bitterness against, one of the surest ways to overcome that is to begin to pray for them, to begin to pray blessings on that person, which goes so contrary to what our flesh wants to do, doesn't it? The last thing we feel like doing is praying blessings on someone, but it says in Romans 12 that we should, we should do so, and in doing that, we're heaping burning coals on their head, which doesn't mean like it's going to burn them and they're going to die. What it means is it's in that custom, they would carry their coals on top of their head, I've heard. So the best thing you can do is to pray for your city and to pray for the people in your city and to ask the Lord to give you his heart. Ask the Lord to give you his heart. Ask him to give you a little glimpse of what's going on in your neighborhood. What's going on behind some of those doors? Some of the, the pain and the suffering and the loneliness and the sorrow. Invite the Holy Spirit to do that, to break your heart for the things that break his heart. I think Abraham is a good example for that, to continue to cry out, to cry out for the mercy of the Lord. And as we move on into um, chapter 19, we're going to talk a little bit about Lot's judgment. Genesis 19, verse 1, says, That evening, the two angels came to the entrance of the city of Sodom. Lot was sitting there. Now, let me just give you a little historical background. So Abraham and Lot were both dwelling in the same land, and they realized that they couldn't both dwell there. So Lot made the choice. Now, he made the decision to go to Sodom, which was notorious for being an evil and a wicked and a perverse place. 
So Lot chose to go there. And I think the reason was he was motivated by prosperity. He thought he could go there and really make some bank. So I think that's the reason that he went there. And so he chose to go there. And it says that angels came to the entrance of the city, and Lot was sitting there. Now, in those days, they would have what they, what they call the city gate. And that's where the people of influence would sit and kind of the, you know, the well-known people. And Lot was one of those guys. In this wicked and evil city, he was sitting there. But it doesn't, it doesn't seem like he made much of an impact, does it? When you read about the wickedness in that city. But there he was sitting there probably sipping on some espresso, chewing the fat with the, with the good old boys. It says, and Lot was sitting there, and when he saw them, he stood up to meet them. Then he welcomed them and bowed down with his face to the ground. Now, it doesn't say whether or not Lot knew that they were angels, but I'm assuming that he didn't. I'm assuming he just thought they were people. Okay? He says, my lords, may you uh, come to my home and wash your feet and be my guests for the night. You may then get up early in the morning and be on your way again. Oh, no, they replied. We'll just spend the night out here in the city square. But Lot insisted. So at last they went home with him. See, Lot knew how violent the city was. He knew that those guys wouldn't last 10 minutes in that city square. So he invited them to come home with him. And it says, Lot prepared a feast for them, complete with fresh bread made without yeast, and they ate. But before they retired for the night, all the men of Sodom, young and old, came from all over the city and surrounded the house. They shouted to Lot, where are the men who came to spend the night with you? Bring them out here so that we can have sex with them. So Lot stepped outside to talk to them, shutting the door behind him. This is very symbolic right here. So these guys are coming to his house to rape his guests. In those days, hospitality was of such high value that you would, instead of allowing anything to happen to the guests in your home, you would sacrifice your own life. So Lot closed the door behind him to protect his guests, and he was basically putting himself in harm's way rather than allowing anything to happen to his guests. Any of you willing to do that for your guests? They'd be like, go on, go out there, you guys, <laughs> right? I mean, that's pretty intense. This is a mob, it says, of young and old. And, it's, and then it says, he shut the door behind him. Please, my brothers, he begged, don't do such a wicked thing. Look, I have two virgin daughters. Let me bring them out to you, and you can do it to them as you wish. The heck? What is this guy thinking? Seriously? Okay. This, to me, is evidence that Lot's judgment, because he was hanging out with these evil, perverse, wicked people, that his own judgment became very skewed. Because what father... I mean, why wouldn't Lot say take me instead, right? Why would he offer his two virgin daughters? What is going on here? What is the Bible saying? <laughs> to me, this is just, just a clear indication that Lot wasn't thinking righteously. He wasn't thinking clearly. It says, leave these men alone, or let me bring them out to you. You can do it to them as you wish, but please leave these men alone, for they are my guests they are under my protection. Stand back, they shouted. This fellow came to town as an outsider. Now he's acting like he's our judge. We'll treat you far worse than those other men. And they lunged toward Lot to break the door. To be continued. Okay, so Lot is the guy at the city gate. He's chosen to go to Sodom, which he knew was an evil place, obviously. He knew it was violent. He knew it was corrupt. And yet he chose to go there, and something began to erode his own moral conscience. And the Bible says in Proverbs 13, 20, walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. The NIV says, he who walks with the wise grows wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm. And I have seen this over and over and over again. You know, the Bible tells us to be in the world, but not to be of the world. 
to me, it sounds like, and I don't want to be too hard on poor Lot, but I'm thinking maybe the world kind of started to, to break down his moral compass. And he started to kind of get some distorted thinking going on based on the company, based on the characters that he was hanging out with. It says in Romans 12 too, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So what this is saying that the way that we think in our natural mind is contrary to the way that God thinks. You know, it even says in Isaiah 55, his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are his thoughts higher than our thoughts and his ways than our ways. So when it's saying here in Romans 12, it's saying don't, don't be like the people in the world. Don't think like the people in the world. They're confused and their thoughts are contrary to God's thoughts. It's saying, but let God transform you into a new creation, a new person, by changing the way you think. It says in the NIV, by the renewing of your mind. How can our minds be renewed? Anybody have any ideas? Nope. Reading the Bible. Number one, reading the Bible. What's another one? I'm sorry? Being in God's presence. Yeah, praying, being in God's presence. What else? Yeah, hanging out with godly people. Whoever walks with the wise grows wise. How many of you want to become wiser? How many of you want to become stupid? Go ahead and admit it. (laughs) I knew there had to be one smart aleck. (laughs) Okay, so it's saying that God will transform the way that we think. No matter what the trends are in the world, no matter what it looks like in the world, the Bible, I was going to hold this up, but the Bible is always the plumb line that measures. It's always the litmus test for everything. And if something goes contrary to something that it says in the Bible, no matter if you feel like it's right or wrong, the Bible is always true. And incidentally, Don't believe, I know that there are people that are suspect of the Bible because they believe that it's been translated over and over and over and over and over. Not true. I mean, it has been translated into many different languages. But with the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, and I don't want to get too far into this, the Bible has been proven to be almost 100% accurate to the original writings. God is able to preserve his own word. Don't you think? He, as our Father, as a loving and merciful and compassionate Father, is able to bring his word in its truest form and in, and in its complete, per- perfect form. Don't you believe that? So no matter what you think or how you feel or how strongly you feel, if something is contrary to what it says in the Bible, you have to really take a step back and examine it. And now there are times where you have to understand Sometimes the original language, you sometimes have to understand context and everything. Like even this thing about the hospitality. I wrestled with this, with Lot offering his daughters, until I began to really study what the the hospitality rules were, so to speak, that you would be willing to sacrifice your whole family in order to protect your guests. So, back to our story. It says in verse 10, the two angels reached out. Now remember, we ended at a cliffhanger, right? Lots, these guys are lunging at Lot. They're ready to tear him to pieces. And it says, but the two angels reached out and pulled Lot into the house. Anybody else ever have that happen to you? Have you ever had an angel pull you? No, okay. It says, and they bolted the door. Then they blinded all the men, young and old, who were at the door of the house. So they gave up trying to get inside. I'm going to just do a little bit of an aside um, about angels. You know, it does say in Hebrews that God has sent angels to be ministering spirits to us, for us. So do not deny the existence of angels, because if the Bible says that God has sent them to minister to us, then we need to believe that. And here's evidence. And like one angel could smite, I don't know how many thousand people. So these, these are very powerful characters. And I believe back early on 
in uh, my Christian life, there was one time, and I don't want to get too mystical or whatever, so just take this for what it's worth. This is just a little random aside. Um, but one time, Eric and I were, were um, coming back from a Bible study, and we drove this little slug bug, and the gas gauge was broken, so we always had to try to guess how much gas we had left. Well, guess what? We ran out of gas on the 280 in San Jose, and that's a really busy freeway. And so Eric got out of the car and pushed it off to the side. And so, and you know, I was trying to steer it. And I was like, and all of a sudden, we looked up, and there was a guy behind us in like this massive, like it was like a probably like a 1980 Lincoln Continental or some huge car. Came up. The guy goes, here, let me push you. He pushed our car with his massive car all the way into the gas station. We turned around to thank him when we got out of the car. He was gone. Seriously. I'm not trying to be weird, but at that point I was like, if that dude wasn't an angel, I don't know who is. I mean, and of course he had, you know, he was, he was even the cliche, like, you know, he was like 6'5", and strapping blonde man, you know, <laughs> long hair. <laughs> Maybe I just made that part up. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> but I really believe that, you know, God can do whatever God wants to do. And so if God sent these two angels to Lot to rescue them from all of these men who wanted to come in and rape them, I think those angels have, you know, they can do whatever God has empowered them to do. So they pulled him into the house, and then they locked the door, and they blinded those guys. And then meanwhile, the angels were questioning Lot. They questioned Lot. They said, do you have any other relatives here in the city? They asked, get them out of this place. Your sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone else. For we are about to destroy this city completely. The outcry against this place is so great. It has reached the Lord, and he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot rushed out to tell his daughter's fiancés, quick, get out of the city. The Lord is about to destroy it. But the young men thought he was only joking. Now, once again, I don't want to read too much into the text, but it seems like why would they think he was joking about something this serious? And it caused me to wonder, how many people that I come in contact with regularly would be surprised to find out that I'm a believer? Or how many people that you work with, if you came to them to bring them a warning from the Lord, would laugh? You know what I'm saying? Like, people should never be surprised to find out that you're a believer in Jesus Christ. They should know that. You should be bold. You know, the Bible says, Take, make the most out of every opportunity, for these days are evil. You know, I was talking with a young man this week, and he was really agonizing over making a decision um, to quit his job. And he was really seeking the Lord, and he sought counsel with me, and um, he just was kind of asking me what he should do. Because he sensed it really strongly, but it didn't make sense on an earthly plane. And I just told him, I said, you know what? I said, I think when you, when you go in there to quit your job, you need to be bold. And you need, to tell, you need to tell your employers the reason that you're quitting. Be honest with them. Just say, I know this doesn't make any sense, but I believe that the Lord is calling me to quit. And so he did that, and he went in to his company, and he ended up, he got to share Christ with one of the higher-ups. I can't give you too many details, but of a, of a very large corporation. And he was able to share the Lord with this guy. People should not laugh when we, when we talk with them about spiritual things. They shouldn't be shocked to find out, are you a good witness at work? Are you a good witness in your neighborhood? Are you the one that everybody avoids? Yikes. Sorry, I just about fell over. Are you, I mean, who are you at work? Are you the same person as you are when you walk into church? Good morning, brother. Good to see you. God bless you. And then you go to work and you're a jerk and you're gossiping, you're cursing, telling dirty jokes. Are you the same? Would they laugh if you came to them with a warning from the Lord? If God put a warning on your heart, 
How would people respond? So quiet. Okay, moving on. Verse 15. At dawn the next morning, the angels became insistent. Hurry, they said to Lot, take your wife and your two daughters who are here. Get out right now or you will be swept away in the destruction of the city. And when Lot still hesitated, the angel seized his hand and the hands of his his wife and his two daughters and rushed them to safety outside the city, for the Lord was merciful. And when they were safely out of the city, one of the angels ordered, run for your lives, don't look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains or you'll be swept away. Oh, no, my Lord, Lot begged. I don't get this whole section. He's just, I don't, I don't know why he's so stubborn. You've been so gracious to me and saved my life, and you've so, shown me such great kindness, but I cannot go to the mountains. Disaster would catch up to me there. It's like these angels are saying that his whole city's going to be destroyed, yet he's afraid to go to the mountains. Skewed judgment, I'm pretty sure. It says, disaster would catch up with me there and I would soon die. See, there's a small village nearby. Please let me go there instead. Don't you see how small it is? Then my life will be saved. All right, the angel said, I will grant your request. I will not destroy the little village, but hurry, escape to it, for I can do nothing until you arrive there. This explains why that village was known as Zoar, which means the little place. Okay, so Lot is living in the world and he's seemingly of the world, and he's having a hard time just obeying right away. He's having a hard time doing what is right. And again, bad company corrupts good morals. You know, hanging out with people who are constantly, um, you know, talking about filthy things and gossiping and mocking and, you know, telling of their sexual exploits and all of that, it will begin to have an impact. You will begin to to be stained because the Lord calls us to be set apart. You know, that's what he's called us to, not to set ourselves up on this pedestal like we're so much better than everyone else. Not at all. Because if you really and truly believe in the grace and the mercy of God and that he saved you not because of things you have done, but because of his kindness, which leads us to repentance, you will not stand in this judgmental attitude toward other people. But Psalm 105.7 says very clearly, he is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. You know, there are prophecies throughout the Bible that that say that there will come a time where people will say what is good is evil and what is evil is good. Do you think maybe we're living in those days? You know, we hang out with people who have, um, they don't share our beliefs, they don't share our faith, and they start to kind of make sense to us after a while. But God has his natural laws. And the things that God says are sin, are sin, whether we like to believe it or not. And we are all born with the propensity to sin in various ways. It says that, you know, there's none righteous, not one. We all have particular areas and particular areas of weakness. Some people are prone to greed which can lead to all kinds of things. You know, the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Some people are prone to lust, which can lead to all kinds of different sexual deviancies. You know, some people are prone to pride. You know, God doesn't sit there with the scale and go, oh, yeah, okay, you're not that bad because you're just judgmental. He doesn't say that. Sin is sin. Sin separates us from God. And God's judgments are in all the earth. And I want to be really careful at this point because, um, you know, right now there's a current trend that says that, you know, you may or may not be the gender that you were born. You know, you may be actually the opposite gender, but just, you know, something went wrong or something's tweaked or, you know. And 
you know, any kind of sexual deviancy other than one man and one woman in a committed marital relationship, God calls sin. So whether you're living together with someone who you may be committed to that person, you may believe that you're going to be with them the rest of your life, but if you're not married to that person, God cannot bless it. He cannot bless your relationship because he blesses obedience. I don't want to go into too much detail, but there are a lot of other areas of sexual deviancies other than one man and one woman in a marital relationship. But God's judgments are in the earth. And not that we are the ones who determine who's saved, who's not saved. That is for the Lord God Almighty. And we're going to talk about not only our judgments, but we're also going to talk about what the Bible has to say about the judgment of the Lord. But, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah were known primarily for the homosexual relationships that were going on there, and particularly older men who would take little or younger boys and train them sexually. And even now in San Francisco in the Sentinel, there was a quote that stated that pedophilia is essential to a man's sexuality. There's a group called the North American Man-Boy Love Association. Their motto is, get them by eight before it's too late. And I'm not saying this to shock you, but just that, you know, God has his ways, and his ways are just, and his ways are right. And, and I know that, you know, I mean, we probably all have friends or relatives or maybe parents or coworkers who identify themselves as either gay or lesbian, and we love them. But the judgments of the Lord are right and true. And we have to honor what God's word says, even over our feelings, even over our confusion over the issue sometimes because of how strongly we, we feel for these people and how much we love them. But I have to give you some statistics. Gay men are 430 times more likely to get HIV than straight. They have a 1 in 715,000 chance for a heterosexual, where it's 1 in 165 for gay. 30% of 20-year-old gay men will either be dead or have AIDS by the age of 30. 90% of gay men have recurring outbreaks of herpes. 75% have 50 or more partners in their lifetime. 43% have 500 or more. And 28% have over 1,000 partners in their lifetime. In Austria, the age of consent for sex is 14 years old. That's where it, when it becomes legal. I mean, even in Utah, you can get married at 14 with parental consent. You know, God's ways are just, God's ways are true, and God's ways are right. But, you know, we as believers are called to love. We are called to minister. We are called to be ministers in our arena, whatever that happens to be, in our area of influence. But yet somehow I don't know why it is that certain Christians seem to think that their whole mission in life is to come against the gays and the lesbians. I don't understand that. It is so contrary to Jesus. Because you know, those are the people Jesus would have been hanging out with. He would have. He would have been hanging out with them, loving them, because that's his character. But yet we somehow think, oh, our pride is no big deal. Or we think our judgment or our arrogance or gossip or greed or our lust or adultery or cheating on our taxes. 
It's not a big deal, right? But it is a big deal. It's a big deal to God. And it says in James 2, 13, it says, there will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you've been merciful, God will be merciful to you when he judges you. And in Romans 2, 1, it says, you may think you can condemn such people, but you're just as bad. You have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and they should be punished, you're condemning yourself. For you who judge others do these same things. And it says, you know, it does tell us in the Bible that the spiritual man makes judgments on all things, but it's not talking about this kind of judgment. This is a judgment that says, I'm better than them. The judgment that the spiritual makes, the spiritual person makes is in humility, and it's just taking the word of God and understanding its principles. And it says in Romans 14, why do you, Romans 14, 10, I'm sorry, why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. All of us. I don't understand where it is that we get off as Christians thinking that our minister, our spiritual gift is to judge. I don't understand it. Because when I look back at my life and my past, and I... I think of everything that I've been forgiven for, not just in my past, but even up to now. I am so humbled by the grace of God. I don't have any right to stand in judgment of anyone else. I mean the kind of judgment that's the condemning judgment. You know what I mean. I just think that, you know, Jesus has made it so clear. We're supposed to love people, and we're called to be a light We're supposed to be the ones who hold out the word of truth. We're supposed to be the ones who bring the message of hope and freedom and peace and forgiveness. That's our job. But instead, somehow, I don't know. I I do actually believe that it is demonically inspired for the enemy to come in and to tell us that somehow we have the right to stand back and look down on others. Because I do not believe that's the heart of Jesus. I want to introduce you to someone. This is my boss's boss's boss. His name is Glenn Burris, and that's his lovely wife, Debbie. Glenn Burris is the president of Foursquare, which, if, you, if you're new here, um, we're part of an interdenominational denomination, um, which means that we are very much integrated with the entire body of Christ, and we believe that the body of Christ is one. There are different little, you know, sections or segments, but ultimately we're all one. And um, anyway, he is the president, and this man is the most Christ-like, humble, godly, passionate man. I just want to say we're in, we're in really good hands with him as our leader because he's such an example. And he posted something, <clears throat> excuse me, a few months ago on Facebook And this is what he said. On my way to the airport today, I discovered that Manuel Noriega is being pastored by one of our Foursquare pastors in Panama City. He came to Jesus in a Florida prison through a pastor that went to visit him every week. He was, do you guys know who Manuel Noriega is? Can we put the picture? There he is. That's his, like, prison sign. I don't know the technical word. (laughs) Prison sign. He was ultimately transferred to France and then to Panama. He's 82 years old. Pastor Carrera is pastoring the church here and recognized a spiritual elder in the city. She said, I am calling him to let him know that I'm bringing a tape of your Sunday message. I would like to introduce him to you, Glenn. He would be honored. Anyway, Glenn, Glenn Burris is the kind of guy who will, whatever situation he walks into, he will share hope. He will share Jesus. He will share the message of acceptance and forgiveness and love and grace and mercy and compassion and kindness. And that's really who he is. And he said, today, Manuel Noriega is a broken and contrite sinner, humbled by the grace of God. I am so guilty of judging people by who they were and even who they are, while God wants us to imagine what they could be if they surrendered to him. 
Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. You know, even though the Bible has a lot to say about the judgment of the Lord, he really has called us as his servants to simply be the light in the darkness. He has not called us to be the judge over people. Going on, we're going to talk a little bit about the judgment of the Lord before we close here. Um, in Genesis 19:23, Lot reached the village just as the sun was rising over the horizon. Then the Lord rained down fire and burning sulfur from the city on Sodom and Gomorrah, and he utterly destroyed them along with the other cities and villages of the plain, wiping out all the people and every bit of vegetation. But Lot's wife looked back as she was following behind him, and she turned into a pillar of salt. Now, what that means, and you've probably heard about this <clears throat> story before, it means Lot's wife was yearning for what was back there. She was longing to go back. Actually, somebody told me a joke. They said, so Lot and his wife were leaving. This is probably totally inappropriate. Anyway, Lot and his wife were leaving, and <laughs> Lot turns around and goes, who's that behind you? She turned around. Okay, anyway. <clears throat> so she turned into a pillar of salt. That was inappropriate. I know it. Okay, I'm going to hear about this later. Please don't email me. Anyway, Abraham got up early that morning and hurried out to the place where he had stood in the Lord's presence. He looked out across the plain towards Sodom and Gomorrah and watched as the columns of smoke rose from the cities like smoke from a furnace. But God had listened to Abraham's request and kept Lot safe removing him from the disaster that engulfed the cities on the plain. Can you put up those pictures? I've got some pictures for you while I... Those are called sulfur balls. And actually, um, scientists have said that the sulfur in those is more pure than anything they've ever been able to de devise. I should ask Pete about this whole thing. But chemically, they can't, they can't even recreate this, that the sulfur is so pure and this is what was being rained down on Sodom and Gomorrah. And what happened, okay, yeah, you see that? The, it's just pure. It used to be a lush and green land. Remember, this is the area Lot wanted to go. He got first choice. He wanted to go there because it was so green and lush and prosperous. This is what it looks like today. And I've, I've been through there, and the area is, I mean, it's nothing. You can keep showing those pictures as I... Um, uh, state these things. It says, the word judge is mentioned 188 times in the Bible. Judgment is 190 times. Judgments, 122 times, equaling over 500 references to the judgment of God. Now, a lot of times you, you see the, you know, I call him the wimpy Jesus, the weak Jesus, who's very loving, which he is, but that's somehow always equated with weakness. But it says in Hebrews 9.27, it says, It's appointed once for men to die, and after that comes the judgment. John 5.27 says, He has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. This is in reference to Jesus. He is the one who has been given the authority to execute judgment. Sweet little wimpy Jesus will judge the entire world. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For all, we all must stand before Christ to be judged, and we will receive whatever we deserve for the good or the evil we have done in our earthly body. Galatians 6.7 says, Do not be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. So we always like that part. We always read that part, but we don't read the part where it says that God will come down and he will judge, and we will be judged according to what we have done. From our sinful nature, they, will, they uh, will harvest decay and death. 
but for those who live according to spirit, they will harvest everlasting life. Jesus says in Luke 17, 28, and the world will be as it was in the days of whom? Wow, you guys are quiet. In the days of Lot. Lot. People went about their daily business, eating and drinking, buying and selling, farming and building, until the morning Lot left Sodom. Then fire and burning sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. Yes, it will be business as usual, right up into the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, a person out on the deck of a roof must not go down into that house to pack. A person out in the field must not return home. Remember what happened to Lot's wife. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. And if you let your life go, this is talking about for the sake of the kingdom, you will save it. 2 Thessalonians 1.7 says, He, Jesus, will come with his mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with eternal destruction, forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. When he comes on that day, he will receive glory from his holy people, praise from all who believe, and this includes you, for you believed what we told you about him. So we keep on praying for you, and this is the prayer that I pray for you. So just receive this as from the Lord. We keep on praying for you, asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. Then the name of our Lord Jesus will be honored because of the way you live, and you will be honored along with him. This is all made possible because of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can you stand with me now as we respond? I'm going to just bring a few areas to you, and, and if this is you, I'm just going to ask you to slip up your hand just as a confession between you and the Lord. If you could just bow your head and close your eyes to give other people privacy as they have this moment with the Lord. I mentioned to you that I was really convicted um, about interceding. Um, if, if you feel like you're a person who has either lost your passion to intercede or you've never even ever done it, I just want to pray for you now. And um, if you could just lift up your hand between you and the Lord as a confession. Lord, forgive us, God, for um, not crying out for our city, Lord. Forgive us, God, for not having that burning passion to, to see people one to you, Lord, to see people set free. God, forgive us for our lack of um, caring and our lack of mercy for others, Lord. We ask that you would forgive us and infuse us, God, with the desire. Lord, break our hearts for the things that break your heart. God, show us, give us a glimpse, Lord, of what people are living in. Lord, what kind of pain, what kind of sorrow and suffering and loneliness and devastation, God. Give us insight so that we will have a a heart of mercy for them and we will cry out to you. And Lord, right now we do, we cry out, for our city. Lord, I cry out for Draper, Utah. Lord, we pray for Harriman and Bluffdale and Riverton and Sandy and South Jordan and West Jordan and Midvale and Murray and Taylorsville. God, we cry out for our city. Lord, forgive us for just going about our business, Lord, and not doing the business that you've called us to do. Lord, we want to be like Abraham, Lord. We ask you, God, to spare our cities, Lord. We pray that you would pour out your spirit. Use us, God. Pour out your spirit through us, Lord, so we can share the good news, Lord, of your forgiveness. Thank you, Lord. The second group of people that I want to address, um, you, you know that you've been tainted by the world, that you've been hanging out with people who don't have your standards morally. And you know that it's starting to affect you. It's starting to erode your moral compass. 
If that's you, will you just raise your hand between you and the Lord to confess? Father, forgive us, Lord, again. God, we know that you've called us to be set apart. Lord, you've called us to be holy, even as you are holy, God. Forgive us for our worldliness, Lord. Forgive us for letting our guard down and becoming like the world, Lord, looking just like the pagans, Lord. Forgive us, Lord, for not seeking you first, Lord, and making holiness and righteousness a priority, God. Lord, I I just pray that you would help us to understand what true grace is, Lord. Not the kind of grace that says, oh, now you're saved, you can do whatever you want, but the kind of grace that says, now that I'm saved, I want to lose my life for the sake of the kingdom. Lord, pour that into us, pour that through us, Lord, in the name of Jesus. For those of, of you who may struggle with judgmentalism, maybe a bit of arrogance or a bit of self-righteousness, even um, against the Mormons, even against people who don't know the Lord, if, if that's you, if you've been judgmental, can you just raise your hand as a confession to the Lord? God, forgive us. Lord, forgive us for our judgmentalism. God, forgive us for thinking we have the right to judge another man's servant. Who are we, God, to believe that we can judge anyone, Lord? God, we know that that's what you do, and you do it perfectly, and you do it right, and all your judgments are in all the earth, God. And you are Lord, and you are King. Forgive us, Lord. Help us, God, to stand in sober judgment of ourselves. Lord, help us to examine our own hearts and in humility, Lord God, that we would be a blessing to those with whom we come in contact. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us, God, for separating ourselves in our own pride. We cry out for your mercy, Lord, and we bless you, Lord. We thank you for who you are. We worship the name of Jesus. Before you leave, if there is anyone here and you have never given your heart to the Lord, you have never been born again of his Holy Spirit, I just want to invite you to come up. I want to have a conversation with you. So let's just talk about that. And for the rest of you, I just want to bless you. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name. Love you guys. See you next week. Bring a friend next week.